there. Welcome back to another episode of QBCast. Are you hoping to learn more about unions or progressive movements? Well, you are in the right spot. My name is Elise Lelai, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Brittany Nisbet, she, her pronouns, reminding you that we're the only podcast of our kind, combining union info, pop culture, and more. Kicking ass for the working class, one podcast at a time. Whether you're a member of QP, in a union, wish you were in a union, just found us while browsing, you are definitely in the right place. And I'm Tiffany Balducci, she, her pronouns. It's heating up outside, and so is the labor movement. In this month's episode, we will be chatting about union revitalization, strikes across Europe known as the summer of our discontent, organizing for possible striker job action, strike myths, and an exciting interview with Ontario School Board Council of Unions President Laura Walton on the work that they're doing organizing for power. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to QPCast episode 15, Hot Labor Summer. And I just say, I absolutely love the title of this month's episode. I think we all need a hot labor summer. Agreed. It's actually so perfect. Yeah, when we were throwing around ideas, it just hit me. Uh, but then I was also scrolling Twitter and saw something similar on dripped out trade unionist Twitter page. So, and I also mentioning them, I can't believe we haven't had a chance to talk about dripped out trade unionists on this podcast. Yeah, yet. yeah, that's so true. Um, so, folks can actually find the Twitter page. It's at Union Drip, and the bio says trade unionists with swag and some history mixed in. It's a great way to get union updates, learn about new and historic labor leaders, and just feel that union pride and solidarity. I love that they featured you and Zoe on Mother's Day, Tiffany. <laughs> that must have been, like, so cool. That was felt so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, other than being retweeted by Boots Riley and one time Tom Morello liked a tweet of mine, I think it's my Ooh. Twitter highlight of my life so far, for sure. Aww. So, yeah, I loved nice. it. Yeah, and, and I always knew that I was a drift out trade unionist, but it's nice to have external validation, just saying. Oh, well, for sure. <laughs> but seriously, uh, it's an amazing resource. So if you're on Twitter, please check them out. Uh, they also tweet very interesting and relevant articles uh, similar to what we talk about on this podcast. So I would say if you like this podcast, then you'll like what they have to say as well. And hope, and hopefully Definitely. if you're listening, you do like this podcast. Yeah, you're not like hate <laughs> listening. Yeah. I mean, you're making our numbers go up either way. Yeah. So. <laughs> but um, yeah, the union drip, they often mention the Amazon labor union and all the unionization efforts happening here in Canada with Amazon, including in Montreal and Alberta. So Teamsters Union actually has an application for unionizing at an Amazon site near Edmonton. Uh, and that's according to a recent CBC article. So we'll link that in the show notes. Um, and I guess one of the organizers with Teamsters, Jim Killey, said that news of a recent union vote by Amazon workers at the Staten Island faculty or facility in New York City sparked a lot of interest in Canada, which is so exciting. I guess there's a lack of breaks Yay. and cutting back on time off and being docked mm. for the time it takes to cross the massive uh, facility to use the washroom. What? So these are like some of the concerns Kaylee said that he has heard from all the staff in Hamilton. Oh, Hamilton. Wow. Well, we definitely wish them all the best in their fight for a union, and we will definitely provide updates as we have them. I know in the past we've also talked about Starbucks workers unionizing, and a union renewal is definitely <laughs> brewing. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> 
But seriously, uh, a barista-led labor movement has grown with rapid speed. According to the National Public Radio on a piece called The Barista Uprising, coffee shops are driving a surge in union elections, up 70% from this time last year. Starbucks alone accounts for more than half the growth. But baristas at small at small businesses are unionizing too, and some of them well before Starbucks. Wow! And uh, mm. thank you for the brewing pun. I live for a good pun. Um, and yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> speaking of puns, I'm glad to hear that our union ideals are percolating. Uh, oh. But yeah, I know that's a bad one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can do more, but I, I won't for the sake of our listeners. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, but the, the, seriously, the stress of the pandemic, as we've discussed, really exposed the issues that were already in so many workplaces. Um, so I've read, you know, um, in similar articles that many uh, don't plan to be baristas for the rest of their life. So they know they're not fighting from their, for themselves, but they're fighting for those who will follow. That is, that's, yeah, that's so good. And that's so true that even the veteran career baristas now feel like they have some job security. Like, that's huge for so many of us. Yeah, my sister actually worked at a Starbucks back home, uh, well, in my home state of Michigan for years. And um, when she asked for time off uh, years ago to attend my grandfather's funeral, and she had worked there for, I don't know, at that time, like, I want to say five or six years. It wasn't like, and either way, mm-hmm. when you request time off for your grandfather's mm-hmm. funeral, it shouldn't mm-hmm. matter how long you worked there. Yeah. But no, they denied yeah. her request. Yeah. And so then she called, she called in that day anyway. She's not going to miss Ridiculous. my grandpa's funeral. No. And, so, and they fired her. They let her go. Of course. Oh, um, my gosh. So, yeah. And, but I'm happy to report uh, that that location in Michigan has recently voted for a union. So, yeah. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yay! Well, that's super exciting. Um, but I'm so sorry to hear what mm-hmm. happened to your sister. Protections for workers are desperately needed, and unions can definitely mm-hmm. help. It's important to recognize that much of this has been ignited mm-hmm. by young workers. Um, these are hard-fought union certification victories at an Amazon warehouse in New York, uh, an Apple store in Maryland, and Starbucks outlets across the country are really propelled by millennials mm-hmm. and Gen Z. It's important to note uh, that there's always this like debate of when millennials, like who are millennials? So mm-hmm. just for reference for, for mm-hmm. what we are talking about is the people who are born between 1982 and 2000. So as of like right now, the youngest millennial would be someone who is 22 and an elder millennial would be 40. Um, So according to a study with the London School of Economics and Political Science, contrary to the narrative sometimes advanced by the media and even the labor movement, our findings suggest that millennials have not been, quote unquote, raised to turn their backs on labor unions. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Millennials heart unions and well, really (laughs) everyone loves unions. Um, But especially our friends in Europe right now who are having what is being talked about as the summer of our discontent. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Whenever I hear that, I just love like I love the plan words. Uh, I love, you know, it it reminds me of John Steinbeck's, you know, final novel, The Winter of Our Mm -hmm. Discontent. Yeah. yeah, I told Matthew that because I he said, oh, what's your next podcast? I said, oh, we're doing we're talking about this. And have you heard of the summer of our discontent in Europe? And he was like, oh, that's clever. He's like, <laughs> leave it to them to come up with something clever <laughs> like that. But I guess Steinbeck actually got those uh, words from the opening lines of a Shakespeare play, uh, Richard III. So it's now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's definitely a summer of labor discontent <laughs> in Europe. Um, I know here we've been talking a lot about inflation, but folks are experiencing the rising cost of basic necessities around the world, and workers are fighting back in large numbers. So in Britain, uh, folks may have heard that tens of thousands of train workers went on strike to oppose job cuts and for higher wages. Mm. And it should not be understated that this was the biggest mm-hmm. rail strike in Britain in 30 years, which resulted in disruptions from Britain to Scotland to wow. Wales. Um, and the union representing these rail workers is the National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers, also known as RMT. Wow. Yeah. And rail service in, in Britain is like a huge way that people get around. Uh, and and so I know in the past we've spoken about the importance of high participation locals which is absolutely true. Uh, But something else that's been really great to see is the support from the general public in this campaign. A marketing research company uh, called Opinium actually did a public survey on the strike and the general public's perception. Uh, Some statistics uh, that we found interesting is that 70% of the public believe that rail workers should have a negotiated pay rise that takes into account the cost of living. And 84% of the public believe the profits from the rail industry should be invested in protecting jobs and services, as opposed to the 16% who believe they should go towards shareholder dividends. So that's huge public Mm. support. We'll leave a link in the show notes to RMT's Mm -hmm. response on the opinion poll for folks to check out. That's so incredible to hear about all the public support that these workers had. That's fantastic. And it goes to show that the general public believe that we really need to be reinvesting profits back into workers and the services they're providing and not to the greedy CEOs and bad bosses. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in Britain that we are seeing rail workers taking action. So at the beginning of July, we saw rail workers in France walk off the job in disputes over pay. And this is according to Bloomberg.ca. This ended up impacting the rail service in France and in Spain. Wow. And yeah, actually, just Via Rail here um, Mm -hmm. also just... Yeah. mildly missed um, potential strike action with Unifor, mm-hmm. actually. Um, that was just yep. announced today, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but it's also not just rail workers going on strike and standing up for their rights. At the beginning of July, News Next reported that British Airways workers, um, so that's folks um, on the aircraft mm-hmm. in Britain, um, school teachers, healthcare workers, and postal workers have been talking about organizing walkouts to demand an increase in wages because of the soaring cost of living. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I think it's good that they're doing this organizing and and something that uh, you might find surprising is even criminal defense attorneys are organizing demos. Yeah, yep, they dressed up in black robes and gray curly haired wigs outside of a London courthouse with signs that said all out to save UK justice. Be afraid without legal aid lawyers. That would have been so neat to see. Yeah. Oh my gosh, good for them. That's yeah. wow, that's great. It's totally incredible to see workers across sectors in Britain taking such bold and big steps. Um, their fight for wages to at least be in line with inflation is very reminiscent to what we're dealing with here in Ontario with Bill 124, uh, mm-hmm. which makes it's so that the total compensation that public sector workers can receive is 1%. Uh, this is a huge wage cut because of how high inflation is. And I know that we've talked about Bill 124 in the past, so mm-hmm. I don't want to reiterate that whole conversation, but it definitely, we definitely have to talk about how how it is the same or comparative. Yeah, very comparable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it's such a terrible way to be treating frontline workers who have continued to provide so much support and care throughout the ongoing pandemic. So as we're sending solidarity to our friends and our workers in Europe, we also encourage folks to sign QB Ontario's online petition demanding the repeal of Bill 124, which can be found at qb.on.ca slash repeal Bill 124. We'll also leave the link in the show mm-hmm. notes for folks. Yeah, and you know, we've also chatted a lot about unionizing and striking uh, and labor action, but I think we should actually chat about all the hard work that goes into building towards a strike. Yeah, you're totally right. Strikes actually take many years to prep. Normally, they say one round of bargaining ends. You start preparing for the next round mm-hmm. immediately after. They do. They do. And I, I actually remember when I was in New Brunswick last year, I was chatting with the QP members on the line there. And some of them mentioned that they had been preparing for that specific strike since their last round of bargaining ended, which for some of them was four or five years before. Yeah, yeah, I was on, yeah, yeah, wow. like it's long-term planning. I was on the political right. action committee, uh, the QP National Political Action Committee mm-hmm. um, with Tammy from New, Run- New Brunswick. So shout out to Tammy if you're listening. Uh, and she was prepping for it, yeah, like four years ago. So yeah. uh, just constantly doing organize- deep organizing. And, and that's one of the reasons why that strike in New Brunswick was so successful too. Like they had 20,000 members mm-hmm. out and on the lines to defend pensions and make real wage increases that would keep up with inflation. It was so successful. And QP New Brunswick ended up gaining a great deal for their members, uh, not to mention they're now stronger than ever. So when I was there and chatting with folks, they said that one of the most important things was how many conversations they had with each individual member. So every single person who was on the line knew exactly why they were there. They knew exactly what they were fighting for. And the, the organizers didn't just talk to people once, like if they didn't make the connection or it was a misconnection, then they just went back again and again so those individual conversations really it shows the importance of those and and seeking out the membership not just having them come to you yeah not being passive about it like I said I remember being in the meetings you know at QB national offices and Tammy would run out to you know make phone calls like they don't have to be even in person sometimes now with zoom mm-hmm. or on the phone but like there were mm-hmm. the constant conversations happening even while she was away for work and and so these members are you know probably very engaged now and that makes for mm-hmm. such strong locals as well and I can't wait to see what happens when they go to the table again in a few years Yeah, um, I actually saw this really great uh, frequently asked questions or FAQ sheet by QP Local 998. And it said that when it comes to striking, 97% of collective agreements or contracts are actually negotiated successfully without Mm -hmm. strike action. So when we see a local that's on strike, they're one of the 3% that decided a strike was the best plan for them in order to get what Mm -hmm. they are fighting for. Yeah, that's true. Um, Strikes are actually normally, you know, the last resort and everything else has... uh, been engaged mm-hmm. ahead of time before we get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've talked about this a bit before. So my local is currently in bargaining, and I've been saying that you know we we're hoping for the best, but we prepare for the worst. Uh, mm-hmm. We want the best for the membership, mm-hmm. uh, but we are planning accordingly in case it doesn't go that way. So uh, a few weeks ago, we mm-hmm. had our strike mandate vote, and we actually got a ninety-five point two percent mandate from the membership. <laughs> Yay! Wow! Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. 
There must have been a ton of work that's gone into all that, though, oh, right, oh, Brittany? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have been working so hard. And, like, for clarity, like, we're a smaller, like, quote-unquote, smaller local. So we have 220 members. Um, but it's still, like, it's still hard. Like, we don't have anyone who's full-time booked off on the executive. You know, we just take days here and there. And, you know, we started last fall mm-hmm. by doing things to really engage our members so that we they would come out to our general membership meetings every month. And we did things that we, did, we haven't really done before, which was really exciting. And I... Like can get more into it if you guys want. I can give you some ideas. Yeah, yeah okay. let's hear about so, it. I think people would love so, to hear the ideas. Yeah, and like, mm-hmm. like feel free. Like, I am happy to share this with everyone. So, like, if you like this idea, feel free to take it. Like, it's it's we're not we're not owning yeah. it. <laughs> um, and it wasn't just me. It was like my whole mm-hmm. executive. And so we um, basically we wanted to ensure that we started to get quorum at our meetings because quorum is always something that you know a lot of. general membership meetings you you need quorum to do anything so we were like how can we start getting quorum consistently and so last fall we we have only been having our meetings exclusively on zoom and we came up with this idea of qp points so or like 2977 points or we didn't really ever call it anything but qp points 2977 points whatever and we thought, well, let's do instead of small little handouts, like we had been doing every month, we would do like a little handout every month to the members. We thought, let's save that money and do something bigger and something that like people will really enjoy. So um, my, I think it was, who was it that came up with the idea? It was, oh, it was my chief steward. She actually came up with the idea of getting a cornhole game with our QP2977 logo on it. And so folks would come to a meeting and they would get points and then they, we would add up those points. And then at the end of our meeting, so in uh, the last meeting before summer, so in June, we would take all the points and we would raffle off this cornhole game. But we never actually told the members what they were winning. They did not know what they were getting until the end of, until the meeting in June. We gave like some hints here and there and there were some guesses, but no one ever guessed it. Mm -hmm. And it was extra exciting for me because we teamed up with a local small business called Upcycle Niagara. And so the cornhole game was completely upcycled and it's a woman owned small business. So, you know, it really, you know, my executive is made up of people who identify as all women. So it was really important to us that we do Mm -hmm. something with a local company, something with like a woman owned company and it's upcycled. So it's not something that's made of plastic. It's completely like, I think they made it from old pallets or something, but it's fantastic. So anyways, Mm -hmm. so. That's it's, incredible. It's so cool. And so we would do things like, you know, come to this general membership meeting in October uh, and you'll get a ballot to the court to the to the like for QP points. But if you bring someone who hasn't been to a meeting in six months, they get five ballots and you get five ballots. And we would do something different like that Ah. every single month. One month we noticed like a lot of people would come to the meetings, but they wouldn't have their cameras turned on. So we made, uh, I had a friend make us uh, 2977's uh, Zoom backgrounds. And so we said, you know, we gave them two months in advance. We said, here's our 2977 backgrounds. And we said, you know, come to the meeting in, I think it was like February and show your QP2977 pride with your Zoom background and you'll get five extra ballots so we just did things like that ah. yeah and then we also mm-hmm. that's so cool right i still i love them and mm-hmm. we had four different backgrounds so you could choose whichever one you liked 
And then, so that was one piece of it. But then something else that we started doing is we've always used MailChimp and we've always done like fairly well. Um, They say like on average, you should be getting at least when you're sending out a a mass email like MailChimp, I think the stat is like 20% open rate. And our rate was about 35 to 40%, which is like pretty good. Oh, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, but we wanted to like boost it up because there were also some people who like, you know, emails, uh, they're really good at filtering things that they think are spam. So some people weren't actually getting them and it wasn't their fault. It was just their email. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes it goes to the promotions tab and not your exactly. primary tab or it just goes exactly. To spam. And so we really weren't reaching as many people as we wanted to. So my president, my current president, who at the time was our vice president said, well, did you ever think of doing like, have we ever thought of doing mass texting? So we do mass texting now. And it's so cool. Nice. And like, also just for reference for all of these ideas are very like inexpensive. Like I can't remember how much we pay for the mass texting. I think it might be like $10 a month. It is not a lot. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so good. And MailChimp is free, which was pretty cool. Um, cool. Is the texting through MailChimp no, also? No, the texting is through Project Broadcast. Yeah, oh, so cool. it's like so the the reason my vice president thought about it, who sorry, she's my president now. The reason she thought about it was because she said, you know, like I just got a text from Old Navy. Like you know how you get those texts from Old Navy mm-hmm. or like, right? Yeah. So she said, why don't we do something like that? So we have that now too. And then another thing that we started doing was we've always had the same QP two nine seven t shirt two nine seven seven t shirts, and people really like them because we don't where we work we don't really have the opportunity to wear like nicer clothing because it tends to get pretty dirty you know rips tears stains messy from what have you like all the things that we're doing so we don't want to wear like our nice clothes to work but people really like wearing the cupie shirts to work so we thought well let's get new shirts for bargaining so we got new shirts and again we teamed up with another like local company to get them and uh so again keeping it as local as possible and we so we teamed up with this new this local company to get these shirts and we uh they say qp2977 we are still heroes and they're gray so they're you know gender neutral for everyone and they have the qp pink um they're really really nice like the logo is in the qp pink and we said to everyone you know wear your shirt on bargaining days and then snap a selfie and then Mm -hmm. post that selfie on social media and they did and it's been fantastic that's so cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love so that. Those are just like a few things that we've been doing. And, you know, we'd send them a text message. Mm-hmm. We'd say, you know, your your bargaining committee is in bargaining today. Don't forget to do a selfie with your uh, 2977 We Are Still Hero shirts. So, and we got a really good reception from that. So we are still in bargaining. We're going to conciliation. Um, We're looking at dates in October. So, you know, next week my local is uh, meeting to do some more strategic planning. And I'm really excited to see what we're Mm going to plan and how we're going to take the momentum we have and move and grow and build with it. this year too in preparation for bargaining because like i said you know you hope for the best but you prepare for the worst we have our strike committee trained Uh so we're planning meetings with the strike committee to like keep working with them and making them feel confident and comfortable with whatever jobs they are going to have when you know if it comes to a strike so i'm i'm very excited that all of this is happening and it's been a lot of work though like we haven't stopped (laughs) yeah sounds like Uh it well 
That is incredible. And thank you so much for sharing all of the work that folks are doing at your local, Brittany. I love how like creative all those ideas are. Um, last summer, I actually took the uh, Jane McKelvey, the Organizing for Power um, like workshop series. And one of the really big takeaways for me was learning about like mapping the local. So just identifying all of the ships and all of the workers, um, like where they're at, and then just planning out who will talk to who. I find that's a really important and really great strategy for folks to use. Yes, I agree. And also, um, I'm glad you plugged the Organizing for Power training because uh, folks should look out for it whenever it's offered because it's free and it's a great mm. training. Uh, so just for, I, I actually, sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. No, I, go ahead. I signed up for it, uh, and there's a six month wait list, just so oh, everyone awesome. knows. So oh, you can sign up. Six month wait list. Oh. Yeah, because oh, wow. we talked about it, and I kept saying, I think I said to both of you, like, I really want to take this course. And I was like, forget it. Why haven't I taken it? I need to go and do this. But I, I'm, this is just be, this is just silly. So I signed up, and there's a six month wait list, just so folks know. Oh wow. Oh well. A really good book that I thought also kind of touched on a lot of the same stuff that uh, Jane McKelvey and the organizers talk about in Organizing for Power is uh, Secrets of a Successful Organizer. It's by Labor Notes. So they actually go in and kind of like talk a lot about organizing like unions and like organizing different actions. So I definitely recommend that book if you can't get into the Organizing mm-hmm. for Power. Yeah, training. and I recognize, I don't know if we talked about also Jane uh, Jane's book, No Shortcuts, Organizing for Power in the New Gilded Age. Totally recommend that too. Yeah, I don't so think so. Too. In the meanwhile, if you're waiting, and also she's like on YouTube a lot. Like, there's a lot of free YouTube, like where you can kind of do your own training. But it's fun to do it with others. So hopefully, people get a chance or they offer more. Um, and and it's too bad it's not happening during the summer because summer is a great time to plan and, and strategize. And this summer is certainly an interesting mm. one, as we talked mm. about already. The summer of our discontent. Um, here in Canada, the CBC had an article a few weeks ago titled Sub- Summer of Labor Unrest Expected as Inflation Soars and Contracts Run Out. So we'll link that in the show notes as well. But Professor Larry Savage is quoted mm-hmm. in the article as saying, we're in for a summer of labor unrest. There's no question about it. Yeah, Larry is uh, definitely not wrong. And I, like myself, tweeted a few weeks ago because I like to troll Doug Ford every so often. <laughs> um <laughs> And so, I know, let's be surprised that Brittany trolls Doug Ford. Um, so he was going on on his Twitter about how we're cutting gas prices by 5.7 cents. And I was like, it doesn't, like, what? So I tweeted something along the lines of, like, giving us a break at the gas pumps by 5.7 cents doesn't actually help, considering I fall under Bill 124 and I can't make more than 1%. Because mm-hmm. it, like, it's so, like, that, that's yeah. just one example. That's just gas. Like, everything mm-hmm. is so expensive. Yeah, and you're definitely not alone either, Brittany. Um, in the same article that Tiffany mentioned, Larry goes on to say, their cost of living is much higher, utilities are higher, rent is higher, food is higher, and their wages have not been able to keep pace. I think there is definitely a lot of anger and a lot of resentment. And I mean, for me, I, I currently like live at home with my parents, but it's like I have a hard time trying to decide whether or not I want to move out because mm-hmm. rent and food are so expensive. So all of my money would just go towards that and I wouldn't be able to like go out and do all the fun stuff that mm-hmm. I can do now. Mm-hmm. But that means then I have to stay 
living at home. Um, but I think it's really also important to mention, like when we're talking about inflation, it's because of yeah. corporations yes. who are price yeah. gouging. That's what's increasing mm-hmm. the cost of living. And it's wild because many, because a lot of these corporations, they actually had record profits during yeah. the pandemic. And continue to with this like inflation being the highest yeah. You know, in any of our lifetimes, I think it's the, it's the highest that I've seen, like that I've ever heard of or seeing, mm-hmm. seen. And I've felt it, you know, being on <clears throat> parental leave right now, my, you know, my budget is smaller than it is when I'm working full time. And Zoe's right. starting to eat more solids and we try to give her like as healthy organic food as possible, but it is mm-hmm. so expensive and it's so yeah. hard. And like, so we try to go to like, you know, directly to the source. So we're not giving the corporations this money, like, mm-hmm. you know, the farmer's markets and stuff like that, but they have to keep up too, right? Smart, With inflation. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, it's really, really difficult. It's, it's crazy. I, it's, yeah, it's wild. And uh, the OSBCU president and our guest today, Laura Walton, is also quoted in that same article as saying, quote, I had a member tell me that it cost them one day's pay for gas to last them d- three days getting to work. And just wow. like so you wow. know, Laura, uh, and she'll talk about it more. We'll talk about it more, of course, soon. But the OSBCU represents 55,000 school staff, including education assistants, custodians, and early childhood educators. And uh, Laura also said many of them have moved back in with their parents. Many of them have gotten roommates in order to try and keep roofs over their head. Wow. Well, this actually might be the perfect time to jump into our interview with Laura then. So next, we'd like to welcome our special guest to the QP cast, Laura Walton. Laura Walton is the president of OSBCU, representing 55,000 QP education workers in Ontario. She's an activist, a mental health advocate, an EA by trade, and a mom. Welcome, Laura. Hi there. So to begin, we were thinking, would you be able to tell us a bit about the OSBCU and the work you're doing with Organizing for Power leading into bargaining with the provincial government? Sure thing. Um, So the idea to start incorporating some Organizing for Power concepts really started three years ago um, when we were in a really tough round of bargaining already. Um, and it's hard. It's hard when you bargain against the province, right? It's They can literally legislate the terms of your collective agreement at a stroke of a pen. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it means that you have to set things up a little bit differently. Um, so we began uh, really last August when we did strategic planning and talked about how we wanted to move forward and how we wanted to build power within the workers um, and how we wanted to communicate more and kind of break down some of those barriers and start to really source out more organic leaders. Um, And it's moved from there to uh, where we are now, which is, um, you know, thousands of people who've been trained up in how to have structured organizing conversations. We're in the midst of doing structure test number two. Uh, We have regional headquarters across the province that are continuing that work. Um, It's kind of really taken off in a big way. Wow, that's so impressive. So how long would you say you've been prepping for this round of bargaining and member organizing and engagement? Um, Probably since we signed the last agreement in November 2019. Um, In November 2019, education workers had their wages capped through legislation. And there was a Mm. lot of discontent and a lot of people really frustrated. And we started to recognize then that it wasn't good enough to just, you know, be bargaining 
we needed to be extremely transparent with members. Um, so starting then was really when we started building, you know, communication systems and ways for people to connect in, um, opportunities for members to have their voices heard without delegation through our forums and things like that. So it's probably been, you know, in its infancy, about three years, um, but really starting to build now. And we make a joke that's a nine-year plan for us. Wow, nine years. Yeah. Um, so what are your thoughts on building high participation unions? Um, it's the best way. It's really what you need to survive. Um, we talk all the time in order to achieve the gains that workers really need, we need high participation. Um, and, you know, all of us here far too often, you know, well, what's the union doing for me? And, or what does my union do? Or the union just collects dues. And um, that really, you know, is a sign that people aren't participating and people aren't having their voices heard and people aren't, you know, knowledgeable on what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, our goal is to have the highest participation. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, 80% strike vote turnout, not an 80% yes vote, but like right. 80% of the membership showing up with like a 95% yes. Um, and to do that requires a lot of effort. It requires a lot of talking to a lot of people. Um, we often say that you should be, for every day that you spend bargaining, you should be spending at least three organizing the membership. Wow, that's a really great ratio to give to folks. Do you have any other tips uh, for locals and activists that are looking to start doing organizing work? Um, there's always someone out there. We hear a lot of times that nobody wants to do it. And mm -hmm. um, what we have found is, you know, if you give people a chance, start talking. Um, also recognize that your members are holistic beings. They just aren't workers at a certain right. work site. They are workers at that work site. Many of our members also have second and third jobs. So they have other opportunities that they're connecting in with their community there. Um, but they're also parents or their, you know, siblings or their aunties or their uncles. Um, and, you know, really looking at that saying, where can you connect in with your community it has been huge for us. Um, so, you know, looking at those and really talking to people, you know, having those conversations with the people who don't you know, typically agree with you really mm -hmm. pays off. Um, it's uncomfortable, um, but you have to keep trying. And the other tip I would say is um, charting. Um, you know, those conversations are great, but they're just chats unless you're tracking what's actually happening. So having those conversations, tracking those, knowing so that you can physically see where your membership engagement level is, is very, very important. And it's how you know where you need to take the next steps or if you need to pause and rethink, go back and take a look and maybe we haven't explained it well enough. Um, we constantly do that. So our team meets every Monday um, and then there's another meeting called a state of readiness meeting where the committees, mm. the central head, the regional headquarters report back into a state of readiness and then the state of readiness reports back into the central committee. Um, just taking a look at what we're constantly, you know, where are we? Where are we really? Where are workers really? Um, because far too often as leaders, um, people have become disconnected from the front lines, right? And they need to be very aware of, of what workers are thinking. Absolutely. Yeah, charting is definitely something that I learned about through taking the organizing for power sessions. And I know that they're going to be running another uh, session in the next few months as well, which is super mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah, and they're running one that's about bargaining and how to implement um, the, the strategies from organizing for power into your bargaining sessions. Um, and it's something that our bargaining team 
took, we were the inaugural course um, mm. and it was amazing. And it's, a, you know, really part of what we do now is what we learned in that. Um, so it's not so much just the structured organizing conversations, but it's also looking at that big, open, transparent bargaining and what you need to do as a bargaining team, making sure that your bargaining team is elected, making sure that there's communication constantly, um, that there's no media blackouts. All of those things are super important too. Definitely. And we'll leave the uh, in the show notes just a link for folks to sign up for the organizing yeah. for power training. I did it with my local in the past. Um, and you just have to have about like 10 people from your local or from your community to sign up to do it, which is awesome. Yeah. And then lastly, I was hoping you could just tell us how do you think that all of the work that you were just talking about, how does that help lead into successful strike or job action? So I think one of the things that we've already seen is because of the high participation that workers have had in the education sector, um, it's helped move things along. So just recently we delivered um, our first structure test, which was over 25,000 uh, letters to the premier demanding fair wages and um, you know service security in our schools. That really helped um, kind of open up the avenue to get into the bargaining table, but also for the public to recognize that, you know, we're very low paid. Um, we are not like some of our colleagues. Um, and so that's very, very helpful. Um, and we're just building upon that. We know that the more folks that are involved, the more people who are there, the more of a crisis that it creates uh, in making the demands. And it removes that concept of like the union boss is asking for this, but really that these demands are rooted um, with the workers. And I think that's been very, very important as we've moved forward. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Laura. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or mention? You know what, I think the best way is just get started. Even if you are somebody who's not active, quote unquote, in your local, um, start having those conversations, start talking to your coworkers about, you know, what do they need to see? Start, you know, bringing those things forward. Um, it's been a great opening exercise for us. Um, and we're happy to, you know, go out and share our, our experiences with others. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cast, Laura. Um, we'll be sure to leave all of the links for folks to follow the OSBCU on social media in our show notes as well. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning into this month's QPCast episode, Hot Labor Summer. Make sure to check out our show notes for any links to articles we mentioned. And don't forget, now that we're on Apple and Spotify, you can rate us. <laughs> so if Yay! you love QPCast, <laughs> make sure to give us a good rating. We'd be so very appreciative. And we also want to thank all the QP Ontario staff involved with this episode. Without them, this podcast wouldn't exist. If you have future podcast ideas, please email us at info at qp.on.ca. And a big thank you to our fabulous producer, Mohammed Akbar, for making us sound so profesh. Yes, we hope you all have an amazing month and an amazing rest of the summer. Thank you so much for listening. Sending you all love and solidarity. Yeah.